2: Football Social Daily With German gourmet doner kebabs Made with our signature sauces Welcome to Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League podcast. Happy Monday. We are going to wrap up the weekend's action for you in a bite-sized format. You had the Premier League review show yesterday, but today we're going to take a look back at the weekend with our heroes and villains. That's what we do on a Monday. I'm Jim Salverson. I've got Steve McNaughton here. Good morning, gents. got Marley Anderson over there. Hello. We'll get on to heroes and villains very soon, but I want to start with a message we've had on Twitter from Matty G, who's left us a little review via direct message. He says... Uh. Oi there, boys. It's an interesting way to start the start of it. it? Oi. Crisp five out of five stars to the podcast. Thank you very much. Listen to the podcast every morning on my commute to work. Love the diverse representation of clubs you boys bring to the table, as well as the occasional championship scoop with myself being a Swansea City supporter. So... Here's my question to you, and this is off the back of Matty G's message. He also goes on to say, Leeds and West Brom look to be clear favourites for a promotion. However, I'd put a fiver on the Swans, very optimistically, to creep into the last playoff spot with a shout of being promoted, which did get me thinking. Mm. So we're at the sharp end of the Premier League season at the moment. We've talked a lot about three teams going down, but obviously with those three teams that go down, three teams come up as well from the championship. And that does have an impact on the Premier League next season. So I want to take a quick look at who we think is going to get promoted from the Championship, why we think they're going to be promoted, and how they will do once they get here. So are they going to be a Norwich City or are they going to be a Sheffield United, essentially? So I think we can start with Leeds versus West Brom Mm -hmm. because they've been the form teams this season. They're both performing well. Leeds have had their little blip, but they're unbeaten in five now, I think. So they look... As certain as you can be to get an automatic promotion slot, would we go along with that? That West Brom and Leeds look like to be the two teams that will come up with one more from the playoffs. It looks like
0: it, doesn't it? I mean, if you look at the table, they've got the pair of them have got a six-point cushion on Fulham in third, um, which isn't a lot, but it isn't a lot. But when everyone's beating everyone in the Championship as the as they always do, it tends to be, you know picking up six points on someone above you is not that easy because everybody mm. just tends mm. to beat each other so it's there's not they've they've looked at times both West Brom and Leeds as though they've they're going to run away with the automatic spots or even the title but they've both sort of tripped themselves up so much that it's still a scrap but I mean, it, a, they they seem
2: to have still pulled away from the rest of the pack for Leeds fans they'll be looking at that wobble of form they had earlier on in the season where they went, they went. They went a ridiculous amount of games without a win for a team that is yeah. top of the the division, yeah. and they still maintained that top two slot. And that's going to make them think they can go on and get promotion from here.
0: Yeah, the um, I mean they came close last year as well in the in the, the bubble. Um, so the stumble cost them really, and they ended up uh, ended up in the playoffs and not getting up through there. Um, and this season it happened again, and the least were like, I'm sure the fans were absolutely having nightmares mm. about uh, about it, it happening again. Um, but they've came through it this time, and I think from now, I mean, there's, what, nine games left to go? Mm. They should be all right, at least for the one of the... I don't think Leeds fans will care whether they come first or second, really, because it's still promotion, and that's all they've been
2: trying to do since 2004 or when, whenever they were last in the Premier League. And they're a team that, once they come up to the Premier League, you'd back them to do all right, wouldn't you? Yeah. If Bielsa stays, 100%. who... We're yet to really see the Marcelo Bielsa that the likes of Pep Guardiola praises so highly as one of the greatest managers in the world. It'd be interesting to see him in the Premier League, but they're a club of the size that you expect them to. They've got the fan base, they've got the stadium, they should be able to invest in the playing squad. You'd imagine they do all right in the Premier League, should they come up.
1: I think they'll they'll come up as champions. I think they'll be absolutely fine in, in the Premier League. They they are a gigantic football club with a with a you know rabid fan base with you know with the best of it, most respect. <laughs> uh, Steve's it. not going to lead uh, any time uh, soon. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. but they are passionate you know football supporters and um, and I think you know what they deserve it because they had a horrific time after the Ridsdale and Old Lady you know situation and. How they essentially ruined the football club by by overcommitting. And it's took what when did that happen? Two thousand and four, something like that, was it? So, it's, sometime like, around. Yeah, it could, it's, it's, could, be,
0: could be wrong. Could be we could, Yeah. I mean I'm sure two, we'll get quoted on it, Marley, won't we? On Probably. This, yeah. <laughs> we don't know our league history. Yeah. But
1: you know, the, the the football club was ruined and them fans have suffered since um you know, since Howard Wilkinson famously led that team to, mm. you know, to the championship back in nineteen ninety three, was it ninety two, something like that?
0: I do I was two when and the things you were quoting there, 92, 93, I was <laughs> okay. two years old, uh, I was so still yeah, crapping myself. I, but what's quite interesting about still. it, I think they've
1: got a really good squad, they've got some good players and I'd love to see Belson in the Premier League, I think he's mm. a character the league needs because yeah. we, we are, from a management point of view, I think we're short on some real characters in the league and um, the, I think they'll be a welcome addition and I think they'll make the league stronger. And I think they'll be a better fit than than some of the teams that have come up in the past, you know, like the like, so Huddersfields of this world and, and and people like that. And I think them and West Brom will do it. And then looking at the, the playoff uh, situation, I of it. Swansea's a bad bet to creep in there.
0: Well, it's Forest. The is, they're, they're 11th now, aren't they? The yeah. Swansea? It, seems, it seems like way off,
2: but there's only three yeah, points. Well, there's a, there's a them lot of potential six. teams. So you've got Forest, Brentford, Bristol City, Millwall. Have mm. Millwall in the Premier League. No. If we have Millwall in the Premier League needs to span future. Oh. West football. Imagine West Ham going down in oh, Millwall. No, no, oh, yeah. oh, <laughs> Blackburn in yeah. there. As Matty mentioned, Swansea. So there's a lot of teams that could potentially make that last place in the playoffs. And we see time and time again in the playoffs as well, it's the team that comes from outside of those four that, does it. that have the form, so the likes of Swansea, if they just get in there at the last minute, that momentum can carry them through.
1: It is, and I think you know, Preston North End aren't in great form. You know, it, it, it was six. It'd be great to see Preston in the Premier League, but I think they'd be a club that would come up and bounce back down quite, quite quickly. Um, Swansea are a good fit for the Premier League, I think. You know, no one wants Fulham back up. Sorry if anyone's listening, <laughs> <laughs> any Fulham supporters. They're the most vanilla football club ever. Um, but Brentford, Forest, you know, they, they'd be welcome additions, I think. You know, Forest is similar to Leeds. They, you know, they went into the wilderness for a bit, didn't mm. they? And if, They've had a tough time since they were last in the Premier League, and you know they're starting to kind of find a bit of form, and it's usually a good indicator for teams that might be fighting out next season or two. And uh, it's a, such a difficult league to get out of; it's a horrific league to get out of because you've got, you know, way over half of that league that's you know capable of getting promotions to the Premier League. So it makes for an interesting time, and it's a long, hard, physical season as mm-hmm. well because it's a twenty-four team league, so it is brutal. I think, but yeah, fair play. I think Leeds, West Brom, and if I was to put any money on it, I don't know. Uh, Maybe Fulham, unfortunately.
2: I'd go Fulham. I think hanging on to Mitrovic, in January when there was yeah. a few rumours linking him to a Premier League club. See how he's many goals he's got this season? Top goal scorer in the championship. I don't know how many he's got. He's but way into the 20s. 20-odd, isn't it? Yeah. So you'd Something fancy like them to come up with a f- that kind of form if he stays fit for the final yeah. I do that the that Newcastle to keep him. It he's, just shows the problem with Newcastle. Far far it wasn't the player.
1: Huh? The, the problem was Newcastle
2: Football Club. It clearly wasn't the player. <laughs> <laughs> Funny. What about Matty then? He's picked Swansea to go up. Do you think they have a chance, Marley? Um, looking hmm. at it, yeah, I mean... Why not? I mean, they're three points behind Preston in in sixth.
0: Who've lost? four nine games. Five as well. N- yeah, nine games to go is a long way. Um, obviously, it depends on the teams above them. Blackburn, Cardiff, Millwall, and Bristol are, are in the uh, in the seat ahead of them, kind of thing. Um, but I'm, I'm looking at looking at Bristol City in seventh. They're seventh in the league. They've got a minus two goal difference. That's absolutely mental. Like, How can you concede more goals than you score and be that high up the league? That just shows how no wins in weird five for this league is, is. It's so, so strange. For, yeah. Lost the last but, but, but
1: three. You know, Bristol have never had a, a you know, club in a Premier League, have they? And I think it needs to stay that way. I can't
0: stand Bristol. I Don't know why. <laughs> right, welcome why you, to Monday's why?
2: offensive...
0: Yeah. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> Sorry.
2: You two are just trying to alienate large portions <laughs> of the population as much as possible. <laughs> I think if you look at the Championship, what surprises me at the moment is the <laughs> amount of, quote, big clubs... End quotes that are in there. Clubs that you associate with being Premier League football teams like Leeds United, West Brom, Fulham, Forest, you associate I associate with being a Premier League team as well. Blackburn, Swansea City, Derby County, QPR. I mean, there's some big old football clubs in the championship at the moment. And it just shows... everyone. Yeah, it just shows how how difficult that division is. And it shows the potential crisis that the clubs that do go down if a West Ham for example go down who are another club that you associate with being a Premier League club, mm. if they go down, mm. it's not that easy to come back up. It is a tough league, and it is always massively competitive. You don't get any teams running away with twenty two points at the top of the Championship table any seasons. No, exactly. And,
1: and Hull City, have you seen Hull City as well? You know, no win in six is the the two points outside the relegation zone. That'd be cataclysmic for Hull to go down.
0: Yeah, I mean, look at look at Leeds. How long it took them to come back? They, they had to go down to League One before they could start rebuilding. Like. The financials of the Premier League just ruined them. Obviously, there was ownership issues as well. And, and overdraft so, issues. So much stuff we can talk about on about eight different podcasts to, to cover everything that's happened with Leeds in the last 15 years. But now they're... they're it's a, it's, I don't know if anyone watched the Amazon documentary on, on Leeds. Uh, no. Leeds United Till I Die, I think it was called. Brilliant. Was it? Brilliant. Um, just in the City one? Yeah, because you cause you know what hmm. you know what happens at City more than you know how Leeds works because Leeds has been such a uh, sh- a ship that's been all over the place. Okay. You know everything's been been everywhere, but since Radrazani came in um, and took over from Massimo Cellino, he was a genuine nutter. <laughs> um, Radrazani's sorted it out and he's got he's got the backing of of people who have money, but they only have a certain amount of money and they basically had one shot last year at, at getting up because they need the 170 million from the premier league to to run to run the club basically um and they put bielsa on a massive wage it was a massive gamble to to have him um and then they were kind of fortunate that bielsa when he quote unquote failed last season to get them promoted he he still fancied the project and he still believed in the project to come to stay and give him another year, because he only signed a one-year rolling contract. There was no, um, it didn't just end. It wasn't a, a cut-out one-year thing. It was a, it was a, a chance where they would go every year and say, right, do I still fancy this? Because he was on a huge, huge wage, and he still mm. is, and it looks like it's gonna pay off this year. And that's why, if they do, if they didn't come up this year and they blew it this year for the next five years, they could go back to where they were. They, they'd yep. have to start selling assets. They'd have to mm. sell the best players like Calvin Phillips, Patrick Bamford. These players would all have to go. The wage budget would have to get shrunk um, and the manager they, would have mm, to go as well. So, I think a lot of Leeds fans would be happy to sell Bamford though. Well, I'm just thinking of players that, that will... Call um, bring big wage, uh, big transfer fees, so they'd have to start asset stripping, which is obviously mm. not what they It's want. going to be very nervy for them being as though
1: because the, the, they've got a lot of pressure on, like you say, to do it. Yeah, and I think that you know, got everything crossed for them that they do come up because I think it'd be a hell of a ride with Bealson in the prem.
0: The Premier League needs Bealson. Mm. Oh, it absolutely he's, does. He's a genuinely brilliant manager. He's better than probably.
2: 15, 16 managers in the Premier League. Although Leeds United should have a points deduction for selling Bielsa buckets in their club shop. <laughs> Official Leeds United branded buckets for people to sit on. So they should have got a points deduction for that probably, but they what won't. Should is, be coming up. You haven't named your third team, so I think we're all agreed. West Brom and Leeds right, coming um, up. Who's your third, Marley? Uh, I'd probably I'd probably agree with
0: with Fulham, to be honest, with the experience and the, the players have got like Kearney and Mitrovic. Mm. Um it's I think Parker's done a good job there hasn't he? He has, yeah. I wouldn't mind I wouldn't mind Brentford. Um Brentford have got a new stadium coming as well, so they could do with the, the money to, to help pay that off. Uh, I think they're gonna move in at the end of the season, so to have Premier League football would
2: be amazing for them. Best crest in the football leagues, Brentford. Brentford. (laughs) It's a really good crest. They've got a little B in the middle. It's cool. Uh, Right, (laughs) there we go. Let's let them promote it on that one aspect and that one aspect alone. Let's move back to the Premier League. Let's talk about our heroes and villains from the weekend. A look back at who deserves praise and who doesn't across the weekend's action. You can go first, Steve, on this because yours and mine for heroes is kind of connected. So you can nominate yours and I'll chip in with mine in a bit.
1: Okay, so this might surprise some of our regular listeners, but I'm going to go for Bruno Fernandes as as my hero, (laughs) uh, who obviously plays for Manchester United. First time
2: you've ever done a hero that's not a Liverpool player, I think. I don't think (laughs) that's true, Jim. That's absolutely
1: (laughs) slanderous behaviour. It's
0: usually, Trent's
2: the best right back in the world. (laughs)
1: All right, Steve. Just for our listeners, Marley sat in the studio with a t-shirt that says "Legend" on it. I am, yeah. <laughs> I have done no washing this weekend. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go for Bruno Fernandez because uh, first and foremost, he looks he looks a great player. You know, re- so technical, really gifted. You can see why United have spent the money on him. But also, the overall arc of the story is the fact that he's had such a positive impact on that team since he's arrived he's been involved in a lot he's got that midfield ticking I think him and Fred look a decent partnership you know in there and it just shows that when you get a transfer right it can lift the whole spirit it can lift the fan base and I think he He's done really, really well at man- Manchester United. I was going to say Man City, then. Uh, <laughs> he's done really, really could do with him. Um, he's done really well. And I think, you know, the free kick for Martial's goal yesterday, which, yes, shouldn't have gone in. It should have been saved by Edison. But he's got that kind of almost mercurial talent about him, hasn't he? Mm. you know, where he is going to be kind of pulling the strings and being and
2: coming up with the man. Just this, that vision to do something oh, a little bit different. Yeah. I mean, that might have been off the training ground. It might have been practice. But just the vision to go and see the opportunity and go... I'm going to make this and make that decision and have that connection with your teammates. It's something yeah. that United have really lacked.
1: Yeah, he so he's come into the Premier League as well from from let's let's face it, not a particularly strong league in in the Portuguese. Uh, you know, is it called the Premier Division over there? Is it something Premier like League? Premier League. I think, yeah. um, he's come from there, so it's a massive step up. He's playing in front of seventy thousand people every week at Old Trafford, and he has took it in his stride so well. And some of, the, some of the the moments that we've seen on the pitch from him, once he's got a full season under his belt, I think United have got a really special player. And Furdu's, you know, I give United a lot of stick on this podcast, being a Liverpool supporter. And I think that, you know, massive well done to everyone
2: involved on in getting him in because he, he looks phenomenal. I agree with you 100%. And I think we also need to give credit to my hero of the week, which is Solskjaer, who okay. is someone who I've given a lot of criticism through over the last few weeks and months saying he's not up to the job, as a lot of United fans, I think, have as well. Even though he is a club hero, he's been maybe dismissed as a top flight manager. But he's really turned it around at Manchester United in mm. the recent weeks. They're on the best run of form, they have been since he first got the job. So there was that run of 11 games that culminated in the PSG game that got him the job. They're currently on 10 games undefeated. So they've won seven, they've drawn three. And it really is starting to look like a team at Manchester United. And that's partly because Bruno Fernandes has come in and he's just been that little spark they needed. But they don't look a million miles away now. And top four looks like a real possibility, I think.
1: I think they'll fancy top four. I think, you know, the three points behind Chelsea. You know, Chelsea have had a great result yesterday against, against the poor Everton team. But, you know, it is going to be, I think, a shootout between them two. I mean, I think we've got to watch Leicester because in, they don't appear to be in free fall at the minute. You know, they've not won, a, won in four games. So I think... United will fancy it because suddenly, like you know, even though Leicester have got a game in hand, you know the, the five points doesn't seem that mm. overwhelming, you know, to overturn when they've got nine games left to do it. And I think for Man United, if if and and the team do get in top four this season, because it will be top four, because this Man City nonsense is going to go away at some point in the very near future, and uh, that'll be a remarkable achievement for him if they do that. And I think he, he deserves a pat on the back. I'm still not a hundred percent convinced on him. No. I think that if but a couple more shrewd signings. If you've got a stronger manager in there who's more tactical, who, who can speak to the media for a start, um, I think that that would you know get but them back in the mix. But the
2: one thing he has done, Marley, is that your Manchester United team seem to be playing as a unit now, there seems to be like a togetherness there, and they are playing for Solskjaer. Yeah, um, that's that's the thing
0: that's impressed me the most. I was thinking, I was thinking yesterday, um, the one thing that's always impressed me about Solskjaer, whether they were losing or winning or drawing, is the fact that he he plays many systems of football. He he changes things. He doesn't just stick to one and and go, right, lads, we're playing 4-3-3, three, three, and if you can't fit into it, you can't fit into it. Then it's a lot of managers do that, and then eventually when things start going a bit bad, the players go, well, this guy's just having us play like this every week. We're never going to change. And I think his flexibility is one thing that's kept him... Um, kept his head above water because it, it did get tough, and he was always trying new things. He was trying yeah. Daniel James in a in a a two up front like yesterday. Yeah. Well, just to just it's not his best position, but it's where he can use his pace, and that also allows Bruno Fernandez to play in his preferred number ten position behind the two um, the two strikers of Martial and, and James, and that's what I, I really liked about him and his his way of of thinking is um, if this isn't working, I'm not just going to stick with it because it's not working, so let's try something else. Whereas Jose well, wouldn't he stick with it, wouldn't he? He would, yeah. Um, and well, I don't think he's as good as a manager as Jose, but he's got a long way to go to do that. But,
2: but he's at the beginning of the journey.
0: He's the
1: end exactly, it, yeah. Because yeah. he... you can see the end in sight with Jose in this country, can't you? Yeah, that's yeah what I, think
0: got... was, I think it was 25... Uh, 15 years ago today. or something that Jose ran down the touchline at Old Trafford when he got Porto to wow. the... Was um, it really? I think it was today, it's yeah. a lot happened in that time, exactly. yeah, and you that, have to give Exactly. That social, was the start of his journey. You have to
2: give social credit for that development. Absolutely. In fact, he has yeah. managed Mould and he has managed Cardiff and that's kind of his big jobs, but he's coming to this Manchester United job with a lack of experience and he does appear to be learning and developing and he is bringing yeah. the squad forward. And I looked at... I mentioned the PSG run that got him the job in the first place and I was wondering is it the same situation? Because I think when you look at the stats ahead of him getting the job full-time in that run of 11 wins, they didn't deserve a lot of those victories. Like if you look at the expected goal ratio, which I know is a bit of a modern day fascination, but they were outperforming their XG every single game pretty much. So arguably shouldn't have won them. It's not the case this time. If you look at it the other way, there's only one game in the last run of 10 where they've outperformed their XG and I think it was the Chelsea game mm. where they won 2-0. So this time, they actually do deserve those victories and they are actually playing better. I mean, you might argue that they didn't deserve to beat Manchester City at the weekend in the derby. And when you look at the possession stats, for example, <laughs> I'd agree. <laughs> both right, didn't you know, agree.
1: It's just such sort of chances, didn't they? They punished Man United, uh, sorry, Man City for mistakes that were made on, on the pitch. I mean, Edison had a shock yesterday, but for me, I'm, I'm quite interested because I think if Solskjaer finishes the season strongly and gets him in top four, he'll be backed again in summer. Mm. And I think he's got to make a really good start because this could be the making of the guy. He's had a lot of stick-off, you, you know, myself as well, Jim. And, um, you know, if if it could turn out to be a masterstroke to appoint him if he can figure it out this time and make the competitive next season as well. Um, and I think i will be watching this space because I think if he can make a sign-in of the Fernandez level that has the impact on that team, you know who knows mm. where it's going to go because there is some, yeah. some movement and shake shake shakers there. I think at Man United, yeah.
2: there's a story in the paper today with Solskjaer saying that he needs two or three new signings to be considered title contenders again at Manchester United. Do you think that's a fair assessment? Two no. or three would get him to that level.
0: Um, I think they need another striker. Need another. Left back Yeah, left back's a problem for them. I think they need another centre midfielder of of some kind, whether that's a defensive one or a box to box one to go with Fernandez or possibly replace Pogba, I don't know. Um but yeah, other than that, I think they've got a good enough team to they're not a million. Maybe maybe not challenge because of I think that depends on how good City and Liverpool are next mm. season rather than Who will strengthen whether they can well. gap. Exactly. Like they're so far behind them now, you've got to assume everyone will do the same in the summer in terms of they'll all strengthen. So everyone should get better. Mm. City, especially. Yeah. Um, well, it's
1: interesting with City, isn't you know it? What's I mean? going on? Yeah. You know, without going into too much detail on it. Yeah,
0: mean? but I mean, going back to to Bruno Fernandes, I think if if any club ever needed one signing to hit the ground running as much as Man United did, I can't think of it. No. Because they, if imagine if you would flopped, imagine where they'd be now. Oh, like, they'd probably be like eighth or something. Exactly, they'd be they'd be back where they were. You know, before obviously before he signed, but 55 million down the drain mm. as well. But he's he's smashed it and he's doing well. And all of a sudden, everything's happy at Man United again now. So they've just got to be in the top
1: four again next season, I think. You know, if they finish fourth this season, because you know, a, a brave man would, would put Chelsea and Man United as top four and take Leicester out of it, I think. <laughs> but I think if all can... of a
0: sudden Leicester Villa tonight is quite a big game, isn't it? Where, where's it at? I think it's at Leicester
1: is it right so Think. they've got that in the favour. If you can get a win it they need it because like I said no wins in four and you know that'll get everyone feeling a bit better it'll get them on 53 points and it's interesting but fur dues to Ali Jim your
2: hero my hero and yours is Bruno Fernandez. two reds for heroes are we gonna make it a hat trick Marley are you gonna go for David De Gea <laughs> uh, no I'm gonna go for a blue uh, not, a blue
0: not a city blue all right a Chelsea blue okay um Billy Gilmore
2: Oh, jumping on the bandwagon. (laughs) What a a little player he is. Yeah. He was. First Premier League debut, first Premier League full debut at the weekend against Everton.
0: Yep. Um, I looked at Chelsea's team um, when it came out and I I just thought the way Everton are playing, like they're playing well. I just didn't fancy the way Chelsea's team looked. Um, Not necessarily with Gilmore in midfield, it was more the, the front three of Pedro, Willian, and. Giroud I didn't think there was a great deal of pace there I didn't wasn't really sure, sure about that it. might not be doing next season yeah um and then Gilmore obviously Jorginho wasn't in the uh, wasn't in the squad Jorginho is central to how Chelsea play like he, everything goes through him he's the the metronome in midfield everything gets the, the defense give it to him and then everyone spins and runs because they know he's going to uh, he's going to find them that was Gilmore and he's this kid's like 18 years old he's just made, making his first start Wearing number 47, like a proper little youth team system player, um, and it's just the way he gets the ball and he takes the ball in in under pressure, and his touches like sublime. Like players are like pressing him at first, um, kind of like when you see Phil Foden play, and you're sort of shocked at how comfortable he is on mm-hmm. the ball and taking it when he's under pressure. He'll take it. He'll know exactly what he needs to do, whether it needs to be a first time pass or he can turn half turn one way or the other, and create himself another couple of yards to find a pass his range of passing was fantastic he got his foot in which always impresses me because he's about 5 foot 8 he's only a small slight guy um, he's not your typical defensive midfielder in terms of physicality, they're usually big big lads, you think of people like Matic and McTominay at Man United those kind of big beastie guys oh, yeah, Fabinho, yeah, Sander yeah. Berger, all yeah. these people all these big lads and there's this little Scottish kid absolutely running, running rings around mm. everyone at Stamford Bridge, and it's his second uh, man of the match performance in uh, in two
2: weeks, well, uh, in two seen, games. He's played against Liverpool and did it. We said in the Liverpool game it was his like assured confidence, yeah, almost that made him stand out. He just looks, he doesn't look like a player making a debut. He looks like a player who's been in that team for three, four years. Yeah, and it just proves how good Chelsea's youth system has been. Mm.
0: In previous years, I think they won the FA Youth Cup like three or four years in a row, and none of them really got a chance in the first team until this this last couple of years when the ban came in. And then all of a sudden, with Sancho going to Dortmund from from Man City, everyone started looking at the other youth team players that were smashing it. And all of a sudden, Hudson Adoy was linked with Bayern for big money, that's, money as well. That's got him in the in the first team pitcher at Chelsea. And then Mason Mount, Fikayo Tomori have both came through. And then obviously you got the likes of Billy Gilmore and. Two other lads that came on at the weekend, yeah, bro. You come on at the weekend. Didn't um, you? what what were the names? Got, was and was someone called Andurin or something? One a striker. Yeah, bro. Uh, Broger was the striker.
1: Was it? Yeah, the Albanian uh, international. There you go. So
0: Broger and Andurin. I mean, wouldn't surprise me if you were sat here next week saying one of them scored a hat trick in in he's his just, first uh, he's start or an something.
1: Abundance of, of riches in the, in the youth youth uh, system, Chelsea, and what's yeah. going to be quite interesting. He's got a stick or twist. In Summer hasn't mm. he? Lampard, whether he keeps going with the youth like Ferguson did, you know, very successfully all them years ago, or whether he goes, Actually,
2: I'm going to kind of go out and spend a couple of hundred million. I'll yeah. be players. very critical of the way Chelsea have gone about their business in recent years, and they have tried to hoover up a lot of the young talent throughout Europe, and then invariably they've stuck in the rever- reserves or stuck them out on loan. Yeah. But this transfer ban has forced the hand of the club a little bit, and they've had to give them the first team opportunities, and it's paying off. Mm.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. Firdous to them. I think they've got some really good. Like, I mean, I'd never heard of this, uh, Billy Gilmore a week ago, yeah. and uh, you know he's come on and he's running the show in midfield, and you know that little t- that little turn he's got is really nice because he's skinning players with it and he's making players look stupid and it's creating loads of space for him and it's getting Chelsea moving. And I think you know he's he's gonna be one of them people where you know when the the clubs are planning the teams and selections and stuff like that, they'll be saying right, who's gonna pick up Gilmore? You
0: know, yeah.
2: So I thought Drew was fantastic at the weekend as well. By the way, mm. I think he. Lampard doesn't like him as much as Tammy Abraham because he doesn't hassle defenders and he doesn't yeah, press. He's, he's uh, a pace
0: as well, isn't he's it? He's an out-and-out striker, physical.
2: No, but I mean, I think Giroud was superb. I think everything went for him uh, the weekend against Everton. So I think
0: I think Giroud is probably the most underrated player in the Premier League in the last ten years. Really? Yeah, I think uh, p- people don't give him credit for what he's good at he's, scoring goals. <laughs> he's very good at scoring goals, and he's probably the best there's been in years at linking mm. up with midfielders and.
2: And they'll probably play for France at the Euros. Exactly. Which is the insane thing. Can't get in the Chelsea team, but will no doubt play alongside Mbappe for exactly. France Exactly, that's the because Euros. Deschamps knows, exact, knows exactly what he does. And he <laughs> hates Benzema, which is another story. <laughs> <laughs> right, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back with our villains. That's our heroes done. But who deserves a little bit of a swipe after their weekend's performance? We'll do that next on Football Social Daily. Football
1: Social Daily with German Donner Kebab. Now 40 restaurants across the UK. Find
2: out where at germandonnerkebab.com. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. We're going to talk about our villains from the weekend. Now we've done the heroes, so let's get into the fun bit. I'm going to start this one. I'm going to start with Jose Mourinho, who is having a very early implosion at Spurs. <laughs> much more than we're expecting, much more than we're used to.
1: We should have predicted it, shouldn't we? Oh, yeah.
2: <laughs> I mean, we all know that Jose Mourinho has issues with his team at Spurs right now. I've no idea what his problem is, though. But when you're playing Burnley and you start five centre-backs, I don't think I've seen a manager start five centre-backs ever. Since Tony Pulis. <laughs> yeah, <maybe. laughs> I mean, you might have thought when you looked at the team and it had Wilder and Sanchez and Rangana, Sanganga. yeah, and Vertonghen all playing at the back, you'd go, well, Eric Dier clearly is going to play a midfield role. No, he was another <laughs> centre-back. <laughs> <laughs> he could have five centre-backs without any full-backs pushing forward or anything like that. The weirdest thing about this whole scenario with Mourinho playing five centre-backs is he doesn't have problems in defence. That's not where he's got his injury problems at the moment. So he could have afforded to play a full-back or a wing-back or something a little bit more offensive than he did. And then you think, okay, so maybe he was trying to combat Burnley's massive attacking prowess. And then he failed with that as well, because in 23 minutes they had nine shots on goal. So I don't know what he was doing. Was he trying to make some kind of point? Was he genuinely setting up tactically to counter Burnley's attack? I've no idea. But whatever it was, it didn't work. And Jose Mourinho is definitely losing the plot.
1: (laughs) I just think it's, you know, if we we had a Tottenham fan in the studio with us now, who could give us a bit of inside scoop, he'd say that when Tottenham are going to Burnley away, that's not the type of team that they they want to see no I think any Tottenham team wouldn't any Tottenham supporter sorry would be thinking actually if we stick three at the back we can have a real goal at ease and try and kind of you know get a, a bag full of goals because Burnley a very root one <laughs> you know if you stop the big man up front uh, and stop the balls going and over the top to him you're halfway to kind of getting your three points there mm. aren't you which I guess
2: and- was probably what he was thinking with maybe the four centre-backs four big lads who can yeah defend set pieces Potentially, but was we're what talking he was thinking. about Chris Wood,
1: not the mountain <laughs> from Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, hey, even if, though... he, if he had a football contract, if he had a pair of football boots that <laughs> Yo, fit him, I think he, Sean Dyche signing him yeah, exactly, immediately. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mountain, mountain, don't be a. But I just think it's all imploding at Tottenham yet again. It's another season of failure at Tottenham. Uh, I, I, I don't think fancied him to get past Leipzig this week in the Champions League, or where, oh, that when whenever the week is they've got that. And Jose is is prickliest, and and the wheels have fell off it. He looks like he's aged ten years. We uh, you know when he's doing his press conferences, That's just that dodgy echo. He's um, You know, rightly or wrongly, he's gone into and big time at the weekend, hasn't he? Which is never. I think even if you've got something to say to the player, I think you know you're going to say it in a meeting with the player, or you, you know you don't throw him in. Under the bus in front of the media for me, I think that's that's management one hundred one, isn't it? And um, I think you know Tottenham are, are, are a bit stuck now because Levy will be reticent to sack him in summer, but which I think he's probably he, there's, there's grounds there to warrant sacking him, and um, because of the financial side of it, we know that Levy doesn't want to pay Mourinho twenty million quid to get rid of him mm. or, or whatever, uh, you know, would would be required on the last two or three years of his contract, but he is he's a manager who is is woefully kind of dated now the the game's moved on you know f- football's moved on systems have moved on approaches have moved on and i think it is it, you know putting five center backs across across the back against burnley away is just a woeful indictment of where he is as a manager in
2: football when now. was his last successful job
1: Jose Mourinho. Well, he probably said Man United wouldn't because he? he
0: won the Europa League and got on finishing runners. I, run as I think that's. I think that is a successful job. When, you, when you
2: look at what came afterwards,
0: yeah, finishing because second. Hindsight is is the thing. Like when he he left saying this is an absolute mess. You need to bat me, and obviously it got prickly and and a bit ugly towards the end. And everyone was like, "Well, ah, the problems with Mourinho." And then you looked at the Man U team. You know, six weeks, two months, three months later. And you were like, "Oh, actually, you had a point because this team's rubbish." Mm. And then all of a sudden, it's t- it's taken um, Solskjaer... eighteen months, eighteen, 18 months, twelve months, four months, yeah. yeah, four five signings. You know, Maguire, Wambasaka James, and now Bruno Fernandez to even get them back to even the level where they they can even think about genuinely being top four challengers. So I think any he, he won the Europa League. So I think that's a I think that's a success, even though people remember how things ended as well as. You know, if you you have an ex-girlfriend, you remember how it ends, in you? don't remember the good times you had. It was the style
2: them. of football, wasn't it, that Jose Mourinho was the problem at Manchester United more than maybe. Yeah, I mean, it, probably, it ended yeah. in bitterness, and because he was doing what he did at Tottenham, at Burnley at the
1: weekend. Yeah, that's what and I'm going to see. Fans <laughs> don't want to see
2: it. Are we going to see the same situation at Spurs? So Jose Mourinho will eventually leave. That will be an aggregate for change. The board will go. We need to make a difference. They'll bring in. I bring in Glenn Hoddle, Fuck Get, g- give him available. a loan of money. Yeah, Clive Wilson. Allen. <laughs> but yeah, it feels like it's already the beginning of the end for Jose Mourinho at Spurs. And for wow. playing five centre-backs in the Premier League, there is never a cause for that. He is my villain. Wow. So who's yours, Marley? My villain is somebody who, I've kind of cheated a little
0: bit on this, it's a personal villain. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's Alex McCarthy at Southampton. Because he was what, min- for being a good goalkeeper. He was mint. And that's why he's a villain <laughs> we because can't, we can't allow this. I know, yeah. <laughs> Newcastle should have won about nine nil at the weekend and also I need to yeah, talk about so Newcastle. It's a Monday and I need to talk about Newcastle because I'm on a podcast <laughs> about football, so I'm gonna talk about him. Um he was he was so good at the weekend that I was just like, Are we ever gonna get past this mm. band, this mountain in goal? Yeah. I mean, Dwight Gill could have had about f- six goals. He should have had the one after seven minutes. McCarthy pulled off this ridiculous triple save outstanding where he stopped Gale from six yards and then Almiron from four and then Almiron again from two and he managed to just keep getting up like a like one of them uh, what them like a boxing bag that just keeps bouncing back. You just kept bouncing up and it was like, Jesus Christ, are we ever mm-hmm. gonna get past this guy? Then we got a penalty. VAR was our best friend at the weekend, couldn't have helped us out anymore. And, well, we deserved it to be fair because they were both clear decisions: that the Jenepo sending off and uh, the penalty for handball against Bufal. And it was like we got a penalty, and I was thinking, who, who takes our penalty? Because we've not had long, yeah. We've not had a penalty all season. And Is I that thought, your first penalty this season. Yeah, that's insane. Genuinely. And when Matt Ritchie, I seen Ritchie put the ball down. I thought, as long as you don't go bottom right, because that's where he, I, I can remember our last couple of penalties that he's taken, and he just slams in bottom right. I thought, if this goalie's playing this well, he's going to have done his homework. He's not stupid. Every goalie does the homework. It's 2020. It's not 1995 when no one's got YouTube. Like It's dead <laughs> easy to know where you put your penalties. Like, just don't put it bottom right, Matt. Obviously, he slams it bottom right, and he's already there when, by the time he's kicked it, he's practically just waiting for the ball to hit his hands. And he saves that as well. I'm thinking, oh, God, how do we get around this guy? And eventually, it's down to 10 minutes from the end, St Maximan Man, Robin, um, Jan Valerie at right back and... Poking one through his legs, it goes in in, in off the post.
2: I think St. Maximo is one of the most exciting players in the Premier League at the moment. You were talking on the podcast the other day about Crystal Palace potentially buying him and the fallout with Bruce and whether there were training ground bust-ups and whether he'd go there as a replacement for Zaha. I think he's better than Zaha. I think probably...
0: They're, they're very similar in terms of, like, if you're going to get any excitement out of your team, it goes to them. If you're Crystal Palace, it goes to Zaha. And you're like, go I'm go and beat a full-back and mm. win a penalty or score a goal or set someone up. With St Max's, it's, it's pretty much the same. Our, our win rate, Newcastle's win rate, is, like, 50% with him and, no, like, I think it's, like, 65% with him and, like, 23% or something without him. Mm. Like, we've won, like, two games without him all season. And it's just... Because he's the one that can actually run at people, scare them. Into I mean, I've not seen a right back have a good game against him. Like he nearly, he nearly killed Zabaleta, <laughs> didn't he? Back in December, Zabaleta well, was thinking you know what?
2: he did kill his career because he hasn't hardly played for West Ham <laughs> since go. then. It's
0: like any right backs just looking at him like, oh god, we've got ninety minutes of this absolute electric talent coming mm. at me. How old is he? Twenty-two. And what did you pay for him? 18 million plus. And where's he going in the summer? Where's he going in the summer? <laughs>
1: uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's the next thing, is down, really? down the
0: big market for a party. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's only he player, he's a super player, super player. And very exciting, like you say. And I think once he starts putting up the numbers that people expect from wingers these days, as in five, six, seven goals and 10 assists... Then we're then we're getting worried at mm-hmm. who starts to look at him because.
1: Yeah. But I think the feelers will be out for him already. Myself, I think that possibly. Um, you know, suddenly he's in the conversation with any even though that they're very different players physically. He's in the conversation with Traore from Wolves for me as someone who's kind of that explosive and yeah. he's got that pace and he's got that skill and he's a character as well. I think that might kind of maybe put some clubs off a little bit. You know, the fact that he is a bit zany uh, and he does do, uh, you know, he, he, I mean, if you follow him on social media, it's uh, it's a riot. <laughs> you know, and, uh, great I think media. that, it, you know, I think Newcastle have got to enjoy a player like that while they've got him really. And I think if you can keep him in summer, that'd be a great almost equivalent to a great piece of business. Mm-hmm. One
2: more win for the safety. I reckon what 35 yeah. points that'd take you to 38 that would
0: probably be enough this season. It was a bit it was a big game on on Saturday. Yeah. I was thinking if we don't win this like it's just it's a real indication of where we are in terms of we're battering like we've got this new system now where we we are a bit more attacking um and against Southampton it was working but we just weren't getting the goal to go with it and mm. I was thinking if we don't score after battering teams, is it going to suck the sort of the the belief out of the team that they are good enough to go and score goals and, and beat teams? Um, but that that three points, I think we need we need another three to be to be certain. But if you look at who's down there, everyone seems to be beating each other. No one's six weeks ago. Everyone was kind of in form, and then like Watford beat Liverpool and then got beat at the weekend with a, a pretty poor game. Brighton can't win. Southampton are on the slide. There's there's at least five teams worse than us. Mm. in current situation.
1: It's from it's from, uh, from Brighton down really, isn't it? I think you know, thirteenth fields weren't where Newcastle generally are in the scheme of things in the Premier League. I think that, that's yeah. that probably would have been if someone had said to you, Marley, at the start of the season when Steve Bruce was appointed mm-hmm. and stuff like that, if would you take thirteenth in the league now, yeah you'd have ripped someone's hand off, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I think it's a big summer at the club. I think that you know, They've kind of they've not got away with it because they've been better than teams that are below them, and I think there's there's plenty of food for thought for Newcastle, and I think that you know the big big thing down there is the fact that Villa have got two games in hand than everyone else. You know is is the big story. I think, I think there's
2: probably seventeen teams in the league at the moment that are looking at it, going, let's get to the summer, yeah, and let's reassess where we yeah. are and focus yeah. on next season, with the exception of very few like Liverpool. Wolves Sheffield United yeah. that's probably it that's probably yeah. the some of the teams that are happy with the season they've had in the Premier League mm. right let's wrap this up with one more villain Steve McNaughton
1: uh, my villain is is Michael Oliver uh, he was on VAR duty in our game at the weekend we had Bournemouth at Anfield and uh, we, you know we, we, we won 2-1 uh, against them and it was for we talked about VAR at so much length on the podcast and we've always said listen it's not the technology it's the people that are using it that, mm. that's the problem and we had an incident for me on, on Saturday which, which highlights this. And I think that uh, the build up to Bournemouth's goal, which, which was a nice finish because they come in round the back and they've put it across the face of the goal and, and they've slotted it in, which is great. But just was, let
2: me pause you there. Just when that goal went in for Bournemouth and they were 1 0 up, how, <laughs> how, how concerned were you about the Premier League title at that point?
1: Uh, well, I said to a uh, text me mate on WhatsApp. <sighs> And I said, we're going to blow this. <laughs> that's how worried I was. Because the the, the problem is with, with, with Liverpool, uh, and I'll come on to it in a sec, is that Liverpool are, are shattered, they're exhausted. Because they've had two years, essentially a foot to the ground, going mm. full belt, every game meaning something. And because we're, we're, we're at the business end of this, the season now, and the, the fact that they are two wins away from, or two uh, Man City losses away from, <laughs> from winning the title, I think that, the signs are starting to show that the lads are a bit fatigued and you know I'm hearing kind of little stories from people in the know that Van Dijk's playing with an injury and he's having you know painkilling injections to get through games and stuff like that so when you, you, you're you in amongst it you know you, you, you don't look as good as you would have done in previous months and I think we're very much suffering from that at the minute but the Joe Gomez goal the ball comes over the top uh, Callum Wilson has, has pushed him in the back and <laughs> You know, and and he stumbled. And I think there's arguments uh, to say, you know, should Joe have carried on playing and tried to kind of do something? Because I think he thought, oh, it's a foul mm. straight away and the referee's going to blow up and, and do it. So when, when Bournemouth have, have gone on to score from it, and because um, it happened at Old Trafford as well, if you remember the week, he got fouled. Uh, for um, he's just trying to put me off. <laughs> uh, Marley, <laughs> yeah, and Marley <laughs> knock and run on <laughs> his microphone. Uh, yeah, the Reed got fouled in the build-up to United's goal at Old Trafford, and, and it happened again. Where is you know the, he's looked at it on VAR because the referee said, "Have a little look at that. Make sure there's no foul in the build-up." And there is a foul, in my opinion. Some people will say that it wasn't a foul, and I get that. Um, but Michael Oliver's had a good look and he said, "Yeah, no foul. He can give the goal." It's like. Even Peter Walton, you know what, mm-hmm. in BT was saying, mm, I'm surprised he's, he's given that, and I think some of the I didn't have the benefit of seeing it on TV, but I think some of the pundits have said, well, yeah, that's a foul.
2: Uh, it's a you know. hundred million percent a foul. And um, would I you just, be bothered about it if VAR didn't exist? If it was the decision from the referee on the pitch and he'd seen it and gone no foul, would it upset you as much? As it has been now, it's getting referred to VAR, and they're going no foul. I they're don't think it would. Wrong. No,
1: I think the fact that the technology exists and we do have the means to check these things out, I think, makes it even worse when there is an injustice around a decision. And I think that, thankfully, we, you know, we went up the other end and we scored two relatively quick goals. You know, to, to go into halftime two one up. But I think. I don't know. How we transplant people's eyes. You know what I mean? <laughs> because Michael Oliver's looking at well, it. This is
2: the problem with VAR. It's still opinion based. Yeah. It doesn't solve the problem in any way because it's still someone's opinion. And yeah, if it's an opinion, you can get it. You can get it wrong, or you can have a difference to someone else. Yeah. Exactly.
0: And if it's an opinion of of people, it should be an opinion of one person, which should be the referee. Which means mm-hmm. he should go and look at it again and then make his decision because it's too easy for referees to say, well. You know the decision's been made that it's not a foul, and really it's just three guys sat in a van, two hundred and fifty miles away that are that are going. Oh, well, we don't think that's a foul because you know he's a big lad and he could maybe not be pushed mm. off the ball. In fact, he was in mid air. You can't yeah. you can't pu- do anything. And when someone pushes you in the centre of the back like exactly,
1: that, you know, it, you,
0: you're in mid air. Yeah. You've got no. You can't plant your foot and yeah. and and stop yourself from getting pushed. So obviously, mm. Gomez then is out of position and. I did feel a bit for for Liverpool when it didn't get. Which that is decision. a first. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's just like come on, that's oh no, that's an crazy. And I think
1: thankfully it hasn't cost us in the end, but you know, you imagine if it was last day of the season yeah. and it went down to it's goal difference, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it they, these
2: are the margins that we're talking about. The interesting thing we touched on there as well is how players now react now VAR Yes, in indeed. Yeah. with, you say, Gomez almost stopping because he thinks he's going to get the foul because he, he knows it's a foul. Yeah. He's felt the hands in his back. He's yeah. going, well, this will get called on VAR. We saw it in the derby with David De Gea, with yeah. Aguero's goal when Aguero was offside, threw mm. on goal. De Gea pretty much stopped and let Aguero have a shot on target. So players are going to start acting differently. The whole play to the whistle thing that school kids get told from the age of five when they're playing doesn't count anymore because yeah. you don't have to play for the whistle because you can be certain you're going to get the right decision mm. which isn't always going to be the case exactly
1: but I think it's just uh yeah he's had a shocker there and he's my villain because he needs to do better when he's in that situation and the standard has to be higher and we've mm. got to sort it out and we've got to, we've got to be able to you know get a grip on these situations because it's you know it's not only my team that have had you know decisions go against them this you know this weekend and and in weeks and months previous and they're embarrassing, I think. I think you know we're at a point where other countries are probably looking at it and just going, "How the hell are they getting this so mm. wrong?" You know, and w- hopefully summer, you know, a bit of a. a re- I mean, everyone's talking about summer and resetting and going again, but I think there's a lot of work to do with with the referees on VAR.
2: Definitely, think. well, those tired and injured players could soon get a rest because Liverpool can win the title without kicking another ball unlikely not. <laughs> if City lose to Arsenal on Wednesday and then Burnley at the weekend they will win the Premier League title before a ball is kicked versus <laughs> well, Everton
0: if they go with five centre backs
2: against Burnley <laughs> you know they, uh, they might yeah. not win the game that's so. not the way to do it yeah. right Marley Steve thank Cheers, you very much guys. that thank is you. Football Social Daily make sure you click subscribe to this podcast however you're listening and we'll get you the next episode as soon as it's ready see you next time Football Social Daily with German Doner Kebab extra meat extra protein. Try the GDK Gym Box.